0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Tonight we begin exploring the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1 with lead pastor Rex Johnson. Have you ever noticed there's many questions in life that are so difficult to answer? Think about it. Why do they say that an alarm clock is going off when it's really coming on? Does that bother you? Why do they say you drive on a parkway, but you park on a driveway? Why is it that people said I slept through the night like a baby when everyone knows that a baby wakes up every two hours? Been a father four times and I should know. And if you throw a cat out of a moving car, is it called kitty litter? That's horrible. Emails will be coming this week, I know. I've never thrown a cat out of a window, even though I don't like them. But I do love dogs. If you're going to be my friend, you must love dogs. It's optional on the cats. Which reminds me of the book of the Bible we're about to study because every time my dog hacked up a furball, she would say the name of the book in the Bible, Habakkuk. (laughs) If you're taking notes, write this down, Habakkuk. Wanted to know, hey, God, here it comes. Why doesn't God seem fair? It's a question. Maybe you've asked this before. You want to know why doesn't God seem fair. Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3 says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or I cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Verse 3, Why do you make me look at injustice, and why do you tolerate Wrong. If you fast forward from the Old Testament book today, people ask those questions all the time, even right now. We say stuff like, God, why do evil people prosper? But good people, many times bad things happen to them. Why is it, God, that I work hard and I'm honest, and that jerk over there is playing politics and he gets promoted? Why is it that a person who gets all, into all sorts of bad stuff lives to be 102 But a great Christian father sometimes dies at the age of 45 of cancer. What's up with that, God? God, why is it we've tried to raise our kids according to your word and tried hard, but now our kids are messed up. And then you look at their kids and they're not even involved in church and they turned out okay. What's up with that, God? God, I'm trying to be financially responsible with my tithe and my offerings at church, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and I'm not being blessed. And then someone else out there, they're not even giving. They're they're being blessed beyond measure. God, what is up with that? I'm already tapping your soul right now. God, how come someone else prays, and when they pray, you seem to do everything immediately for them? You don't do anything at all when I pray. How come I've got these headaches that won't go away? How come I'm battling depression? How come someone I love is going through this? And God, it seems like you could do something, but you don't. Why? Why don't you seem fair? On Saturday, March 25th, 1911, over 100 years ago, at 4.40 p.m., just 10 minutes before closing time, a fire broke out in the top floor of a 10-story ash building in New York City. 145 of the 500 employees died that day trapped in the building by locked doors and collapsed escape ladders or jumping to their deaths from the 8th and the ninth stories. That fire resulted in rules like fire exits and sprinkler systems that have since saved many lives, but not those lives. They are gone, sons and daughters and fathers and mothers who perished in the flames. I got a question, Why? Or perhaps a more recent tragedy will resonate with you. March 11, 2011, at 2.46 p.m., a massive earthquake struck Japan. Several lives were lost, but the greatest loss of lives was yet to come as the earthquake triggered a massive tsunami waves, some as high as 90 feet that swept across low-laying cities and killed 16,000 people. Why? In fact, those tragedies point to the two greatest questions that ever passed her. Every pastor, every pastor, if he's honest, struggles and wrestles with in his ministry. And I promise you that you do too. The two questions are simply this. Why does God and why doesn't God? Say it. Why does God and why doesn't God? Now, as we study the book of Habakkuk, we're going to have fun. We're going to find that Habakkuk was asking questions like this. Why don't you and why do you not? Do you not? Actually, Habakkuk the prophet was incredibly in love with God Almighty. He had rich faith, but he, like so many people, crashed head on into a faith flaw. And the things that he saw didn't line up with the things that he believed, and it became a difficult season for him. You can relate. Here's the context of the book. Habakkuk was one of the 12 minor prophets. Say minor prophets. He was a great prophet. Minor prophets were great prophets. Some think, you know, when you mentioned minor, they mean they never did play in the majors. They never got a Nike contract or their own sports drink. That's, what, that's not what it means. Habakkuk is one of the 12. He's one of the 12 minor prophets. Of the 12, we know less about Habakkuk than any of the other minor prophets listed. We don't know much at all about him. We know that he was most likely a temple musician and that at some point he became a priest and a prophet. Now, you might wonder, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who would speak on behalf of God. Everybody say, a prophet is someone who would speak on behalf of God. Now, the book was written in about the year 600 B.C., according to history. Give or take a little. Godless man named Jehoiakim was the king of Judah at that time from 609 B.C. to 597 B.C. And Israel was on the brink of Babylonian captivity. They were fixing to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And here was the reason. There was violence. There was corruption in Judah. There were all sorts of fights. There was a lot of ungodliness. And you could say, really, it was like the world we live in today. Bad people doing bad. Good people not doing well either. And so God says to Habakkuk, these people that I love, they're becoming increasingly wicked, Habakkuk. And for your own good, basically, I'm going to punish you. But what you need to understand is I'm going to take a far worse people, those who are much more evil than you, and I'm going to use them to destroy you. And Habakkuk says, no, God, you're not being fair. You're not being fair with the people of God. You need to write this down. Habakkuk means simply to embrace or to wrestle. In the first sense, Habakkuk loved God, so he embraced God. He embraced the things of God. But it also means to wrestle. He wrestled with God. He wrestled for the people of God against God. Let me just tell you very clearly, folks, right now as I get into this message, you're not going to get a sitcom sermon here tonight. Anybody watch sitcoms? Anybody? Good. Some of my favorite shows when I was a kid was My Three Sons. That ages me, doesn't it? The Brady Bunch. I love the introduction of the Brady Bunch. Y'all remember that? Gunsmoke. Oh my God, that's not a that's not a sitcom. But I love Marshall Dillon. Oh, I loved I loved old Chester. I loved him. Here's a good one. Happy Days. Remember Happy Days? The Fonz. To have hair like that, I would die for. Three's Company. Anybody watch Three's Company? Uh-huh, that's why you're going, woo. Mama never would let me watch that show. So I'd sneak off to the neighbors and watch it. Everybody wore underwear and called them shorts in that day. And you all know Suzanne Summers looked pretty good. As a teenage boy, she looked real good. What would happen in a sitcom is this. There'd be humor. There'd be some tension in the plot, yet without... Within 30 minutes, including commercials, everything would be neatly tied and every problem would be solved. Everybody went home happy. A lot of people like sitcom sermons. They enjoy them. A little humor, maybe a little bit of attention at the end and a nice poem or story that makes us cry, makes us laugh, makes us feel better. And everything's neatly tied. Then you go home in your life and everything's okay. You will not get that kind of message out of the book of Habakkuk. In fact, you're going to get the opposite. You're going to get reality TV. You're going to get real life. You're going, to, you're going to get tension. You're going to get drama. You're going to get plenty of unanswered questions. How many of y'all like unanswered questions? Aren't they fun? Aren't they just fun? Aren't they a blast? So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. The burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw, the Bible said. The word there is massaw. M-A-S-S-A-W. It means an utterance. It means a doom. It means a burden. God... I don't want to tell them this because I don't like this. They're not going to like this. I don't see anything good in this. He's pushing back as God is pushing at him. He's pushing back. The only one of the 12 minor prophets that pushes back and argues with God is Habakkuk. Now, you've got to get this. He says in verse 3 through 5, God, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. In other words... If you took it into our day and age, he could be saying, okay, God, I don't get it. There's a drunk driver, his fourth drunk drive charge that crashed into a car and killed an innocent four-year-old. What do you have to say about that, God? What do you have to say about that? Okay, there's a girl that keeps hopping from bed to bed to bed, is pregnant time and again, and aborts the children many times over, and we're a godly couple, and our only prayer is that we could have one child and we can't get pregnant. Huh? What do you have to say about that, God? You believe Habakkuk, God, after him, okay, our kids will go to school, and some angry 14-year-old came in the gym the other day and shot eight of them innocent. What do you think about that, God? Terrorism, corruption in the workplace. God basically is what he's saying. Verse 4, he says, Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails, and the wicked him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And as far as I can see, nothing is turning out fair, he said. Basically, if you're taking notes, Habakkuk has three major problems with God. You need to write these down, and we're going to preach. He said, you don't seem to care, okay? God, you don't seem to care. You're letting all these things go on in the world, and it doesn't seem fair. God, you must not even care. The second complaint is you aren't doing much when you could. Now, there's some respect in this as if to say, God, I know you could if you wanted to. You're powerful. I believe you could. You could do one little thing that would change everything, God. If I were in your shoes, I would do that. I would turn this world around. I don't know why you won't. You don't really seem to care. And the third thing, he said, what you are doing doesn't seem fair. I want you to write those things down and put them on your refrigerator this week. In other words. What Abacca is saying is, God, if I were in your shoes, I would do things totally different. Be honest. How many of you ever thought something like that? If I was God, don't raise your hand because you might get stricken. (laughs) If I was God, I'll tell you what I'd do. God, I don't like the way you're doing it. I was taught when I was a kid that we would never to question God. Anybody taught that way? Come on, let's be honest. Raise your hand. Anybody taught that way? Never question God. I would have a wreck if I went home, after I went home, when I went home from church, if I questioned God in church, or I'd get a disease. or never pass another test. That's what was preached at our place. Is God going to punish me for feeling that way? Is it even appropriate to say, God, I don't understand. I'm not sure Like, I like this. Is it fair game at all? And here's a statement I want to make. In my opinion, when you look at Scripture, it's absolutely fair game to, at times, question almighty. It's all right. You can do it. In fact, Job did it over 200 times in his book. And God said, you want to ask some questions? I can ask you more than that. And God threw 275 back at him. God can out question you and he can out answer you also. I'm going to try to help you tonight. In fact, not only is it fair game, but there are times where questioning God could be a great part of this journey called faith. Because we're on a faith journey. You need to read the Psalms sometime. One third of the Psalms are people crying out, God, what's going on here? God, are you ever going to rescue me? God, are you leaving me here forever? Read Job, read Lamentations. They're very godly people who are crying out, Have mercy, God. I thought I did everything you said, and now what's going on here? If you don't believe that, skip over to the New Testament and look at the Son of God, Jesus Christ, on a cross, hanging. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes it's all right to ask a question every now and then in your life to get some clarification on where you are. In fact, I think, I think people I think are afraid to bring very sincere questions to God, and I would argue that sometimes very important part of your faith journey would be taking honest questions before him. Would you clap your hands and say thank you, Pastor, for talking to us today? We're going to, we need to ask God. So here's the statement of the night. Okay, you ready? Put it on the screen. What do you do when what you see with your eyes is so different than what you believe in your heart? What do you do when what you see with your eyes is so different than what you believe in your heart. That was Habakkuk's foundational challenge. Let me explain it to you like this. Seth Godin is a guy who writes a lot of books and good blogs, and he wrote a book called The Dip. Anybody ever read The Dip? He, read, he wrote The Dip. And he uses this chart. Can you put the chart up there for me? He uses this chart right here. And uh, you can see you can see the start of it, and then you see The Dip, and then you see The Rise. Okay, I'm going to use this a little bit different than the way he intended it, okay? Because he talks about effort in his. But I'm going to use a little different. Okay, here is a person who's without the Lord. You remember those days? God's doing something real in your life, and that's neat. God's reaching for people even here tonight. And at some point, the Holy Spirit does something in you, and you say, wow, whew, never felt that before. Where'd that come from? And the power of God has reached you. God, you say, I believe you're real. I believe Jesus Christ came as the Son of God, and I surrender to you right now. And at that point, boom, because of faith, because you believe, because you open up your mouth and say, I believe, because if you don't believe, you're not going to be saved. You've got to believe that he is. And something happens, in your life changes. The first time you ever believe in what Jesus Christ can do for you and has done for you, your life changes right then. Now, there's a lot more down the road, but your life changes right then. Amen? And I mean, darkness to light. Right now, you're different. You're on this gold train. You You get on a rocket. You get on a spiritual high. you pray and God answers your prayers. You're having all these God coincidences, and all your friends are saying, Wow, what has happened to you? You have gone crazy on us. And you're just grinning. You're smiling. And they say, Please come back. Please, I hope you come back to where we are. And you're making changes in your life. And all these major things are, you go to church. And when you go to church, the message is just for you. And you're like, wow, that was for me. I love that message tonight. And you get in your car and your favorite songs playing on the radio when you turn your car on. And you go to the mall and there's a parking space right in front of the store you want to go into. I mean, you're wow to the third power. You understand? You're right here. But before long, before long. Y'all going to let me preach it out? Y'all going to sit there? Like a bunch of half-asleep denominational people. Come on, we're spirit-filled people around here. Before long, you go to church and the sermon doesn't quite speak to you. Oh, that's weird. I didn't like that message tonight. And you get in the car. You don't like the song that's playing. That makes it weirder. And you pray instead of God doing what you ask, the opposite happens. Hey, God, what's going on here? And then one day, someone you love gets sick. It doesn't get better and they die. Or someone you care about gets in an accident and things don't turn out the way you thought they would. And you enter into what one man calls a crisis of belief. God, whoa, whoa, what's happened? I thought we were here and you're doing everything great and I was trusting you. But now based on what I see, it's very different based on what I thought. I'm not sure what I believe right now. Typically when this happens, people go in one of two directions. They will naively deny reality and say, I want to go back where I was. In other words, I want to go back to my first time I ever believed in who he was and what he could do. I love that feeling. I love that power. In other words, if the doctor says I'm sick, I'm going to be in denial. I'm going to say, no, I'm not. Because I'm not going to have a negative confession. I'm going to believe that God can do anything. I'm healed. I think I'm healed. If you lose your job, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just get another job. I'm going to believe that God's going to provide a job. And they go to almost denial and just positive thinking and saying, I'm going to get back to where I was. And many times I think that kind of lifestyle is dangerous. It's almost denying reality because, folks, hello, we live in a real world. This is not a make-believe world. And if anybody thinks, listen to me now, you've got to listen. To anybody thinks it's going to get better? Boy, I sound negative right now. You're sleeping in the tulips. You're not making sense. Dorothy, this is not Kansas. Amen? You're in a wonderland okay, God, others get mad, and they say, okay, God, I thought, but you're not, so forget you. (laughs) So they either want to go back to the original, or they want to say, God, I'm out of here. Which is, if this is going to be how it's going to be, you're not going to do what I thought you would, you must not be who I thought you were, so forget it, I'm not going to serve you anymore. It's either going back to the original saying, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm going to speak it, I'm going to speak it. I'm gonna, Or it's over here saying, forget you. Let's not play anymore. You know someone or you are that someone. You got hurt. Someone did something to you. Someone let you down. God didn't answer your prayer. And you say, you know what? Forget about this. I'm moving on. I'm talking to you right now. So what do you do? When what you see isn't consistent with what you believe and you're not sure what to think about God. Well, you can go this way or you can go this way or you can do the more difficult road and that is say, God, I'm going to still trust you. I'm going to trust you. And God may take you on a journey, and things may even get worse than they are now. They might get worse, and things get, they may get more painful, and you may even be, have more faith struggles in your life. But if you continue to stick with God, you hear me? No matter what He does around you, I can assure you, if you hold on to Him, at some point, He's going to take your faith to a place of intimacy, to a place of trust, to a place of security that you never, ever dreamed possible. If you are willing to go through a season of doubt every now and then in your life. Now, I believe that. James said, Brothers, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me go back. Let me go back and just preach to you the old Rex Johnson way. There's two things I know. There is a God and he is for me. Amen. There is a God and he is with me. There is a God. And we're going to win together. I believe it. I believe it. I went to a cemetery. I mean, seminary. Sorry. And the one I went to spoke to us and said, if the Bible says it, you can bank on it. You believe it. That settles it. I believe it. And we regurgitated that in that, in that Bible school. We, just, we spit that out. But then when I got out of school, I, I started traveling around the country. To, and I met people that came from other cemeteries, seminaries, that did not teach that the Bible was relevant. Are you with me? And they were some good, good colleges. But some seminaries don't think very highly of God's Word. And it's more about our thoughts and it's about our brilliance in trusting God's Word. It's not really God's Word. It's my brilliance that matters most. And I met these kind of people and I could take you to these places where some of these guys went to school. So you say, well, you know, you look at the Bible. Well, here's a contradiction. Paul didn't say that. And here's another contradiction. Jesus didn't say that. It's God's Word, and it changes lives. And in meeting preachers from other schools, they said, well, they've got a good point. I see your point. You see my point. Well, not as good as you see you need to see mine because, you know, I'm smarter than you. I'm on the Mensa, I'm on the Mensa list, and I'm a little brighter than you are. You've got to listen to what I've got to say. And, and what happened when I first started preaching after coming out of school, I got confused. I really did. I got confused. And I'll go ahead and confess it. I got confused. I was a 21-year-old kid, and I got confused. And I was pretty good in school, but I got confused because I was meeting people, and I found out later that didn't believe that this Bible said it. It was right. They believe how you think about it is what's right, not what the Word says. And so I panicked a little because I bet everything in my life on this Word. I trusted this word. I lived for this word. I hate to tell you, I slept with this word. It was in my car. It was riding shotgun beside me. This this word was my life. It was my breath. I poured myself eight hours a day into this word because I wanted to know that God was real. I was tired of hearing people. Trying to talk God out of the word. This is God's word. It's God's pure, unadulterated word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I went to my pastor one day and I said, Pastor, I said, Pastor, I got an issue. I said, I'm meeting people that are denouncing things that I've read in the book. And they're not saying that they're real. And they say, you know, it's just a matter of thought processes. My wife went a year to a college like that, that taught those theories and theses. But I've straightened her out. No, she's the preacher around the house. She straightens me out. But my pastor said, Rex, just take your questions to God. Don't take them to man. Take them to God. He can handle any question that you have. Just wrestle with it until God gives you the answer. Hallelujah. And it took a hard lick one day in 1981. But I realized for the rest of my life, nobody can take it from me. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. There is nothing that has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God will with every temptation. Provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Hallelujah. 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 Forgive me. My Lord. And now when I see those guys, I'm just I feel sorry for them. There's a book called Theological Crossfire by Penick and Brown. And Penick's a genius. In his argument, he said, the Word is the Word of God. It's not a word of anybody else. You can trust the Word. And I'm here to tell you something. I didn't need Pennick and Brown to tell me that. When I went through my questions to God... He let me know His grace was going to be with me. His grace was going to be for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. And I want want to say this. I want to say this to some of you, to some of you people. I want to say this to some of you. You're going through situations and crises in your life right now. Let me just preach a little bit. You know, Abraham, back in in the Genesis, he... He tried to get God to get into a ratio with him of who, was, who he's going to save and how he's going to make it all happen. He said, God, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom, it's just 40, 30. You know, he comes on down to 10. And God said, I'll save, I'll save the city. If it had kept on going to five and even zero, God would have saved the city. But Abraham gave up, not God. Right. But now Solomon, on the other hand, tried to bring religion into how God would do this, you know. And he said, God, if they come to the altar in this house, Will you have mercy on them? Yes. If they come to the congregation, will you have mercy? Yes. What if they come to stand on the porch? Yes. Well, what if they come and just look at the city? Just look at the temple? God said yes. When I tell you, when I preach about this God factor, it is an awesome thing because this word said he is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. And I don't care what horrible thing you're going through right now. I do care, but I don't care what it is. You may not have had the answer you want from God yet, but you hang in there. You keep hanging in there. You're wondering right now, does God even know? Does God even care? Yes, he does. And I've had my moment with him, and he told me his grace would be sufficient in my life. And I'm here to tell you, if your kids are out yonder somewhere, if they just even look toward the house of God, God's going to bring them in. I'm telling you right now, I'm I'm, I'm giving to you right now, the prodigal son left. He went and got himself in a hog pen, and when he made up his mind he's going to go home, guess what happened? When he started on his way home, guess what happened? His dad ran to meet him. I'm here to declare to you, there is a God that has grace. There's a God that loves us. There's a God that cares for us, and it does not matter what position you're in right now. You keep trusting him. Amen. 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 What are you doing, God? What are you doing? So let, let, let me let me wrap this up. I told you it wouldn't be be the longest one of the series. So look at God's response. God said, Habakkuk, you want an answer? Okay, here it is. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe it, even as I told you. I'm going to do something for you. Look at the nations and watch. There's a word there, Tamah. It's a Hebrew word. It means sudden, alarming, or amazement. It means to be astonished or to marvel. In other words, God is saying, when I tell you this, what you're going to do is you're going to become, (sighs) you're going to be so excited. You're going to be so knocked off your feet. And you're going to be utterly amazed. In verse 6, he said, and, and all of a sudden, Habakkuk listens. And he said, I'm raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across whole earths and seize dwelling places not their own, these people are thieves. The Babylonians are a feared and dreaded people. They are they are to law. Uh, they are a law to themselves, and they pronounce their, promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, they're fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen they come from afar. They fly in like vultures. They swoop down to devour, and they all come bent on violence. Here's a story, Habakkuk. You your stuff may be bad. But they're much worse, and I know all of you hate them, but I'm going to use them to destroy you. And Habakkuk is stunned. He said, I mean, if you put yourself in that story, you'd say, that's not right. Is that bad or what? I'm not through with you. You're not going to get out of this until I get you ready to understand that I'm God in your life. This is not easy preaching. This may be friend to some of you, though, because a deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and faith at the same time. Somebody said, well, if you question God, God don't, he knows you don't believe him, you're doubting. No, 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 no. You can have questions and you can have faith at the same time. Mark the ninth chapter, I validate that story. Mark the ninth chapter, a man had a son who was demonic possessed. He was in the fire, he was in the water. And Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration and he finds that that man and he said, Sir, what do you want? He said, my son, Lord, has been, he's, he, he's been cast himself to the fire. He cast himself in the water, and I'm afraid he's going to die. He said, I want him to be healed. And Jesus said, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe. But then he said, help thou my unbelief. Isn't it amazing? In one sentence, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I didn't think you could have both in the same. Yeah, you can have both in the same sentence. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And in that moment. The Lord spoke to that spirit and that boy was delivered right now. But that man had to go through all of that situation just to see how great God was. When God puts you through things, it's not time for you to shake your fist at him and say, God, where are you in my life? Where's that God that I met the first time I said I believe? Where's that God that I met when my car did right and everything was right in my life and everything was smooth? You've gone through a dip. But you're coming out. And the greater the blessing will be when you come out of the situation that you're in right now because your, te- your faith is being tested by fire. And when you come forth, it's going to be tried as gold and it's going to be shining. It's going to be shining. Amen. 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 So here's a statement of faith. Habakkuk said, you may wipe me and my children, my contemporaries out, but my children and my children's children are people, and we will be back. In other words, we may have to go, but we're coming back. We may have to go, but we're coming back. He said, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up? those more righteous. God, I believe, but it is difficult. So number one, chapter number one is simply this. Sometimes we get into a wondering spirit with God. We wonder, God, have I made a turn? Is something in my life? Is something wrong? No, you don't ever have to think that way unless you understand that you have willfully sinned against God. You're doing the right thing. You're going forward. You're trying to please God. You're trying to live for God in the church. But sometimes God is silent. God does not speak. Things happen that we don't understand. So what do you do? Take your questions to God and understand that this word is His word. Every scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is His word. This is His word. You can bank on this. You can bank on this. Not some smart person. Not some person that thinks they have an intellectual attitude above you or an aptitude above you. Not about that. It's his word. Bank on his word. In fact, I'm not trying to desecrate it, but I will stand on this word. I will stand on this word. I will stand on this word. Hell can come at me, but I will stand on this word. The world will throw everything. I can stand on this word. I'm not going to weave right or left. I'm going to stand on this word. As Pastor Fender says, I'm taking the waiver out of my walk. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm going to do it. 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 I'm going to, I'm going to stand on it. So Habakkuk, he gets into this, man, you know, you know, I, I've always just read chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Because I love the waiting and I love the worship. Because this thing gets better. Next week is going to be awesome. Next week is going to be awesome because we're going to learn how to wait on the Lord. And then in the third week, we're going to learn to worship in spite of everything going on in our world. We'll have church two weeks from tonight. You understand, we're going to have church here two weeks from tonight. But tonight we wonder, we wonder. God, why? God, help. God, somehow. God, what do I do? Here's what you do. Take your questions to him and believe that he's going to do the right thing by you. Because I don't want to have to repeat it, but it's simple preaching. There's two things I know. There is a God, and he is for me. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.